What up, what up, everybody? Welcome to another fantastic, jam-packed edition of the Nesson After Hours podcast presented by People's United Bank. I'm Emerson Lazia. You are Sealy Godwin. And we've got ourselves a beautiful, thick, information and entertainment-filled program today. <laughs> thick. Yeah, that's... Yeah, amen, sister. <laughs> uh, two guests. Two big topics, the first one being the huge news that's being reported by multiple outlets, including the Boston Globe. We got Peter Abraham here to kind of break down. Alex Cora is back. Oh my God. Hey. What, what, what is your reaction to this, Pete? Um, inevitability. I, I, I've thought for a long time that he would be back uh, and that even though they were going through the search process, I think that was more of a due diligence sort of thing giving them cover so that when they did bring him back, they could say, hey, we, we went through all of this and we decided in the end, he was our guy. But I thought going back to their press conference in January that they never wanted to do this in the first place. They were pressured into it. And now they have a chance to bring back a guy who's clearly a good fit in Boston, clearly a good fit with that team. And I think for the first time in a while, you can feel some hope about the Sox. Uh, okay, so on a scale of, of one to 10, how big of a news dump is this today? <laughs> yeah, it, I thought it was kind of funny that uh, just as – uh, well, Joe Biden is taking the lead in Pennsylvania. And Georgia. <laughs> right? oh, look at this. The Red Sox are like, like send, tell all the reporters what we're doing now. <laughs> drop it now. Drop it now. <laughs> <laughs> it was either that or waiting, you know, waiting for the alien invasion, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> this was, uh, I guess this is about as close as they could get to hiding it. Yeah, for sure. Pete, what do you, what do you think? Um, how do you think this looks uh, to the rest of baseball? The Red Sox bringing Cora back. Well, I mean, the Tigers called A.J. Hinch 15 minutes after his suspension was up, right? The World Series got over. They were on the phone with him, like, literally after the last pitch. So I think if the Tigers feel like they could hire A.J. Hinch, there's no reason the Red Sox should feel like they couldn't hire Alex Cora. A.J. Hinch was the manager when they were cheating. Alex Cora was only the bench coach. So, and then we've subsequently learned since they let Cora go that there was nothing going on with the 2018 Red Sox. He was absolved of any wrongdoing then. We've also learned that the Astros have had problems going back a long time. They had problems after he left. This was an organization that was morally bankrupt for a while. Uh, so it wasn't like, you know, there were a bunch of good guys and Alex Cora came in and led them down the path of wrong or whatever. So I think had the Red Sox known about all of the stuff that was going to happen, I wonder if they would have held on to Cora and just taken the hit. Um, but they, you know, they did let him go. They, they suffered through a bad season. Ron Renneke took a charge for the team. And now they have a chance to go back from the and bring in the guy who they know can can handle this job. And when you know that somebody can handle managing the Red Sox, you don't let that guy go because there's not too many of those people. Um, all the other candidates, they had, what, 17 at some point that they were interviewing, that they were talking to. Um, and then uh, Fold was kind of the, the guy that was neck and neck with, with Cora. What do you think happened with that situation that put Alex ahead of him? I mean, I don't know that there was, you know, everybody seems to think that um, Sam Fold was the other candidate, uh, one of the Philadelphia staff guys, a former Tampa Bay player who's very familiar with Hyam Bloom, a guy from New Hampshire. Um, he probably would be somebody you'd look at and say, this is a guy who potentially could be a good manager for the Red Sox. Uh, but he doesn't have any experience, and, he, and he's certainly not a guy like Alex Cora who had, you know, fit all of the things the Red Sox were looking for. To me, it struck me like, they didn't want to just say, okay, we're not going to look. We're just going to hire Alex back. I think they felt like they had to go through the process. And if somebody else in that process jumped out and said, you know, wow, this, this could be even better than Alex. This, yeah, this, blew their socks you know, off. Yeah. Overlook this guy. 
um, you know, they would have regretted that. So I think this gives them, this gave them the opportunity while Alex was still suspended during the month of October to look at other people. And then when they come to the decision that it, it was Alex, nobody can accuse them of, of not doing their job and not doing their due diligence and not considering other people. I think it was important for them to do that um, because he was coming back to this organization. The Tigers didn't do that because I think he, he was new to their organization. So I think the Sox are in a different position than, than mm-hmm. the Tigers were. So they, that's why they went through this. Gotcha. Good for Alex Gore not having to put the 2020 season on his resume, at least. Uh, what problem? Good. What problems do you think? What problems and challenges do you think like he and the Red Sox face now, Pete? Yeah, I, I'm just, you know, it's funny. I'm writing about that now and it's a pretty long list. I mean, you look at the guys like Rafael Devers and Andrew Benintendi, they regressed last year. Alex needs to get his arms around them and, and kind of get them back to where they need to be. Eduardo Rodriguez didn't pitch all season because of coronavirus. You don't know how much you're going to get out of him. Uh, you know, he's not going to come back and throw 200 innings. There's going to be days. He's only going to be able to go three or four innings probably early in the season. He's going to need to trust the manager to do the right thing for him. And he already has that trust with Alex Cora. I think it was five seconds after the announcement that Eduardo put up a post on Twitter with a bunch of emojis and hearts. And, you know, he couldn't have been more happy. <laughs> Uh, Christian Vasquez is a guy who could be an all-star. I think that can happen under Alex Cora. They've got a great talent in Alex Verdugo who needs to navigate a lot of things. Once fans start coming back to the ballpark, his profile is going to rise. He's a 24-year-old guy who's never been in that position. He's going to need somebody to guide him through those times. Alex Cora is a good guy for that. And then I think on top of it all, for the first time in a while, they have a group of prospects who are closer to the big leagues than they are to rookie ball guys who could actually help this team in the next two years. And we're talking about Jaron Duran and Nick Pavetta, Scott Siebel, all of these different players who they've acquired who could help them. Alex Cora is a good guy to have as a manager to break in rookie players. We saw he could do that in 2018. So this is, I think, a lot of things that he has to handle, but he's a guy who's shown he can handle it. You don't have to wonder if he can do it. You know he can do it. Real quick before we let you go here, how long until the Red Sox make it official? Well, maybe, maybe they're just waiting for the, you know, the inauguration. I don't know, but it'll be right after the swearing in. Um, <laughs> I mean, now that you know, he's the manager, I, you know, whether it's Saturday, I, I, you know, who knows, maybe later on, you know, Friday, at some point they'll just say, Hey, you know, here's Sam and here's High and Bloom and here's Alex Cora and here's a statement from the owners and, you know, get it done and move along. The one thing that's different about all of this now is you don't have to invite people to Fenway Park, right? There's, yeah. there's none of that. Everything is just Zoom. So uh, it's not like you have to worry about the logistics. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know if Alex is in Puerto Rico. I think he is. But you don't need to, you know, it's, it's not like you need to gather everybody. You can pick a time and just just have everybody meet on Zoom. Um, hey, Dave, ma'am. Yeah. Uh, real, another thing. Sorry, this just came up into my head. Um, <laughs> that, that meeting when they went down to Puerto Rico, do you think they were actually talking business or were they, were they enjoying a, a nice adult beverage? Like, I mean, no, what more funny. did you know about this guy? <laughs> I wrote about this the other day, about 10 or 12 years ago, I, I had a job in New York and the, the corporate office decided they were going to lay everybody off on one day. And then we could reapply for our jobs. Right. I don't know why they did that, but that's what they did. So I'm in Chicago waiting to cover a Yankees White Sox game. And I find this news out and they say, okay, you can reapply for your job online and somebody will call you. I'm like, all right. So somebody calls me from the corporate office who I've never met. And the person says to me, well, why do you think you're, uh, you know, you're, you're applying to be the Yankees beat writer 
what do you think your qualifications are? And I said, well, I'm the Yankees beat writer. <laughs> so I, I think like, I think Alex must have been in the same position. Like what could they have said to him in an interview? So what do you think your qualifications are as the manager? Well, I have this giant ring that I won when I, in 2018. I mean, what, you know, what was he supposed to say? Like, you know, I don't know if you saw the games at Dodger stadium, but we beat their ass. I mean, I don't know what he's supposed to say. So I, I kind of wonder if, you know, I, I'm sure at some point High and Bloom needed to sit down with Alex, right. And say, yeah. Listen, you know, to begin with, nothing bad you know nothing untoward can happen even remotely everything has to be above board secondly how do you think about you know how do you think we can work together you know if i have an opinion on this what you know what's your opinion going to be you know how can we make sure that we meet in the middle on all of these things that we have to decide coming up so i'm sure that conversation had to be held but i you know what did i mean I, what could they have you know did they have a list of questions you know what would what are they going yeah. off the covers? you know like kind of you know it's sort of strange like but you know, it's a good point that. that you it's a good point you brought up though because the dynamic of this front office kind of has changed right since <laughs> since Corey uh, yeah. last left well you know Dave Dabrowski he, you know he was an old school guy and he looked at it like I'm going to put together a roster and then I'm going to give you this roster and you manage the team I'm not going to tell you what to do and that's not how it works most of the time now it, the, the front office works with the manager and they, you know they, they come down and say hey here's when we think you know this pitcher has this many pitches right. this hitter shouldn't face this reliever on the other team. I mean, that's why Blake Snell got taken out of the game by Kevin Cash, because that's what the front office thought. Alex is a guy who agrees with that stuff. That's what the Astros did. He, he knows what that's all about. He wants the information. He wants to work with the analytics staff. I don't think that's going to be a problem, but I do think if you get to that Blake Snell situation, Alex Corey is the kind of manager who's going to say, I trust my eyes. Yeah. I see that this guy's pitching a heck of a game. I'm going to let him go. I don't know that he'll just say, I'm just always going to follow the numbers. Uh, yeah. So I think it's a good mix. I, I think that's the kind of guy you want. You want somebody who can make their own decisions, but at the same time, you know, have a, you know, have a great knowledge about what the analytics tell you. Uh, Pete, we will not take up any more of your time because I know you've got a lot of articles you've got to pump out. You got a big one coming up tomorrow. Like you just teased. We'll be looking forward to that one, but thank you so much for hopping on the after hours podcast today. Uh, we'll talk soon. The Appreciate Boston you, Pete. Globe, right? on, the, on the most read stories at bostonglobe.com. Alex Cora is number one, not the president. Which is <laughs> Let's go, buddy. That's because we're sick of that crap already. Give me the call. Boston, Boston, baby. We care about the important things. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Now, we've been working for weeks to get this incredible woman on our podcast, and she's here now, the legendary Amy Trask. How are you doing today, Amy? I am doing well, and it is my honor and my pleasure to join you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yes. Hist uh, history so, for so you. History you for you. This is this will definitely be the the most important podcast you have ever done. I promise. Okay. You that. All right. All right. All right. Everybody, <laughs> let's slow our roll here. <laughs> uh, Only the hard stuff. <laughs> you you spent thirty plus years with the Raiders organization. Another seven spent covering the sport. Uh, we want to talk a little bit of NFL headlines before we jump into your personal story because it is amazing and people need to hear it. Um, but what do you think is the biggest problem the Patriots are facing right now? And there's a lot of them. Well, you know, I think all of the sort of opprobrium directed at the Patriots organization and at Bill Belichick is just silly. At best, it's silly. It's absurd. It's misplaced. Look, 
the whole Brady without Belichick versus Belichick without Brady, I think that's nonsense at this point. And I think the the sort of scorn and, and opprobrium, as I said, being directed at the Patriots is nonsense. New England lost 19 players that were either starters or significant contributors last year going into this season. Eight of those 19 opted out as part of the virus protocol. And the reason I note that is those were late losses in terms of how the season and the off season progress. So you can't do a one-to-one comparison. Look, Bill Belichick has six rings. I think a lot of people have been waiting for this moment to pounce on him. And I think it's absolutely misplaced. And look, Yes, I was there on that snowy, snowy night. And, you know, no, I'm never going to get over it. But no, I, could you not have, I could not have more respect for Bill Belichick and, and for the Patriot organization, for Robert Kraft, for Jonathan Kraft. It is a magnificently run organization. And, you know, we're always going to see that snowy night very, very, very differently. But the scorn that's being directed at Bill and at the Patriots is misplaced right now. How weird was it hearing him be so candid, though, earlier this week mm-hmm. when he was mentioning the salary cap and how that is a big reason why they're in the position that they are right now? Well, I can't comment on, you know, the accuracy of that. I'm not familiar yeah. with the details of their cap situation. Um, you know, I will say this. All teams face cap issues. Some teams face cash issues. In my experience, cash was as or more important than cap considerations. All of those things have to be balanced. Um, So I can't weigh in as to the um, magnitude of those issues. But look, again, I think they deserve the benefit of the doubt. They've got six damn rings. Like if there's anyone who can build this thing back up. Yeah, if there's anyone who could build this thing back up like in a heartbeat next year, because they are expected to have some of the uh, the largest cap space, it's going to be Bill Belichick. Like, I don't understand why we sit here and we can't continue to question him. I agree with you, and I've said this for years. I think he is the best NFL head coach ever. And when I've said that on air, whether at CBS Sports Network or on the radio, you know, people pounce on me and they say, but, 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 what about Vince Lombardi? And what about, and they name other coaches. Mm-hmm. And Obviously, those were magnificent coaches as well, but none of them operated in a salary cap era or an era where free agency is as um, significant as as it is now. So I think Bill is the best head coach of all time. And you're right. If I had to fix a team, rebuild it, revamp it, um, adjust it, I'd, I'd want him doing that. Uh, Bill, with all of his championships, and I mean, the man's not one to make excuses either. So I, I feel like people painting this as an excuse, it, it's really not true. He doesn't make excuses. Um, do you think, though, that he can right the ship and get back into, you know, getting into the, the postseason? Because right now, that 11-year streak is kind of on the line here. Do you believe that they can do it? And if so, how do they do it? Well, it's obviously an uphill battle this year for them. And I'm sorry I use the word battle. I hate doing that. It's an uphill climb for the team to try to do that this season. And right now it doesn't appear likely. But look, they've added an extra playoff team in each conference. So, um, you know, as has said, it wasn't over. I'll I'll do it exactly. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? (laughs) (laughs) Touche. It's it's not over, but it's an uphill climb. But you know what? Let's assume for the moment New England misses the playoffs this year. Mm -hmm. 
okay. You know, you've got those six rings and you got to trust the organization and your coach that they're going to rebuild in the manner they've shown they can build. So, you know, let's say that the playoffs aren't in the cards for this season. Okay. So you didn't make it this season. And I know that sounds sort of, you know, lackadaisical on my part, but I just think you need to look at a bigger picture um, than any one season. And by the way, this is a weird season. It is, it is, it is super weird. You know, what's weird is like seeing Tom Brady in, in, in like a Buccaneers uniform. That's weird. What's also weird. Like all of, a sudden, all of a sudden, like Antonio Brown is living with him, like they're roommates and he's expected to make his debut like this week. And well, my, my question to you, my question to you is like, just what, what have you made of Antonio Brown's just journey back here to the NFL? He hasn't played since week two of last, last season with the Patriots. Well, I'm going to answer that, but I am just going to reference first your comment about seeing Tom Brady in a Buccaneers uniform. <laughs> I'm obviously older than um, the both of you and, and certainly than a lot of the, your followers. So I will say that I have a vivid recollection of seeing Joe Montana. Very true. When he left Chiefs. the 49ers in a Chiefs jersey. So, <laughs> you know, this is, is it jarring? Yes, it's jarring to see Tom in a different jersey, but it was jarring to see Joe in a different jersey. This is not unique to this moment in time. As to Antonio Brown, I've articulated the following um, going back to last year, and I've been heavily criticized for so doing, and that's okay. You know, we can all have different views. Um, I wish Antonio Brown all the best in writing his life. So in other words, there's two issues here. There, you know, can he succeed on the field? That is a far less significant issue in my view than can he succeed in life? And when I've articulated um, wishing him the best for writing his life and doing right in his life, some of the criticism has been, you know, he's done horrible things, he's done horrible things. Well, it is not mutually exclusive to say of someone, you know what, you've done some horrible things. But I hope you turn your life around and I hope you are on the path to living a better life. So those aren't mutually exclusive. And I do think that working with Tom, living with Tom, being under Tom's wing, so to speak, will be a benefit to Antonio Brown. And I do hope that he does extremely well. And I am not talking about on the field. I hope he gets his life together off the field because it has appeared to me since going back a number of years that he has some significant troubles and it is not mutually exclusive to say, I hope he fixes those problems. But yes, I do recognize he's done some pretty bad things. Those are very gracious words. A lot of people sometimes just, <laughs> they just want to just dismiss them. And I think that, you know, in, in this day and age, we're talking, having more uncomfortable conversations about mental health, about past trauma, um, that's part of probably his equation. I mean, we can't assume that, but you know, it, it's nice to know that people can be given second, third, fourth, fifth chances. I, I think all of us have at some point in our lives have had to have those extra opportunities that we needed. So I appreciate hearing you say that actually. And, and I agree with you. And I will just add one more thing. Not everything needs to be binary. Not everything needs to be either or. We don't need to say he did some really bad things or we wish him well in writing his life. We can say both. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. 
That's true. Like, especially like on Twitter, everything has to be so like, it's either this side or that side. Or you're Not canceled. in my Twitter village. Not in my Twitter village. <laughs> no. Good God. Avoid Twitter, everybody. So in the AFC East right now, we're, we're having the Buffalo Bills leading the way um, and the new darlings. How do you feel about their test with the Seahawks this weekend? Because that's a big one. Well, you said it beautifully. It's a big test. Um, there are things that each of these teams are doing tremendously well, but not either of these teams are perfect. There's no team that's perfect. And I think it's going to be a fascinating, fascinating matchup. And of course, it's NFC, AFC. So we could be looking, I think we probably are looking at two teams facing one another, a test for both. But these teams will each be on their own trajectory, presumably towards the playoffs in their respective conferences. How soon until Russell Wilson finally gets that elusive MVP award? He's got oh like he's got, every, he's got like everything else, you know. You know, I have been on a just a little bit of a bender about this all season. Um, <laughs> when you know the fact that this man has never received one single solitary MVP boat. You just used a great word for it. It is wild. Another great word you guys just used, crazy. I mean, look, <laughs> there are years where Russell has not only been the quarterback we have seen him many years be, but he was the team's leading rusher. I think it was two or three seasons ago, maybe two, maybe three. So not only are you carrying the ball, pun intended, as the quarterback, you're doing so as the team's leading receiver. And this year, he's making up for all sorts of deficiencies on that team. The defense has been giving up oodles and oodles. That's a technical football term. Oodles of yards. And yet, you know, so, okay, Russell, we just need you to score some more. We just need you to score some more. And he yeah. does. I think he is magnificent. Yeah, I, uh, I, you know, Seals, we were talking about the other day on, on Ness and After Hours. I think the fact that he's been so good on a consistent basis since he's like joined the league has almost worked to uh, worked against him. Cause it's almost like you've come to expect that. And like, yeah. he's being beat out by everyone. The who just had these insane, like almost yeah. it's like everyone with these MVPs are having these insane seasons. And then there's Russell Wilson who's just like underneath him and he's just cruising. He's just like, well, right here. It, that's a great point. When, when someone is that good, that consistently, do people sort of come to expect it? And then it's like, Oh yeah, Russell's being Russell. It's not that big of a um, deal anymore. But by the way, that is, you know, exhibit A, when I'm launching his case, that is exhibit A for the MVP and a lot more honors. He is just, and, and you know, from all accounts, um, he is tremendous off the field as well as on. Um, so obviously you flexed all your knowledge and there's, there's a reason you know all this knowledge. You've been doing this for a, a great long time. Let's get into a little bit more about where you are today. Spent 30 years with the Raiders in some capacity, 16 as the Raiders CEO. A frequent question I get, and Emerson, you probably do too, is, you know, how did you get your start? How did you get your foot in the door? And, and Amy, I personally know your story. I find it so awesome. So I, I want you to share how you got your foot in the door with the Raiders. Well, thank you very much. That's very gracious and generous of you. Uh, I started as an intern. Entered. I Love it. Cold, I cold <laughs> called the organization. I was in graduate school at the time. I cold called the organization and I said, I'd like to be an intern. And that's how I started. And, you know, 
people ask me regularly, you know, what was my plan? What was my strategy? What was my, you know, goal for my trajectory? And the answer is, I didn't have a strategy. I didn't have a goal for a position within the organization. I didn't have a plan. I was so thrilled to be part of the organization and to be part of the team that if my job were simply picking the scrunched up cups off the sideline during games, I would have just said, not only would I do it, I'd think I'm going to be the best damn cup picker upper there is. (laughs) And when I started as an intern, I wasn't picking up cups, but I was doing the in-office equivalent of that. And you know what? I was thrilled to be part of the team. And, you know, at one point in my career, someone I trust, someone who's very special to me said, you know, you need a five-year plan. And I looked at this person. I'm like, what? I said, you know, number one, yeah, number one, I don't want a five-year plan. Number two, I don't need a five-year plan. Number three, that whole five-year plan thing didn't work out so well for Russia. So let's just abandon (laughs) the whole five-year plan thing. And um, I did move up within the organization. Al afforded me tremendous, tremendous opportunity, um, opportunities, which for which I shall forever, ever be grateful and appreciative and thank him. Um, But I didn't have a plan about an upward trajectory. I was thrilled and honored to be part of the organization. And, you know, I'll tell you the biggest misconception about Al, because it it worked to my benefit as I grew within the organization. The biggest misconception is that you couldn't disagree with him. Because if that were the case, I'd have been fired roughly two weeks into my job. He walked oh, yeah. into, two a, into your job. Well, he was while he walked into a room in office where I was sitting with a coworker, and he lit into this coworker, and I mean lit into him like a velociraptor. I can only imagine would rip into flesh. And after listening to him for a little bit, ripping into this guy, I said, "Excuse me, you're wrong." And I said it in a very strong oh. voice because I don't have a dainty voice under the best of circumstances. <laughs> so I said, "You know, excuse me, you're wrong." I will always remember the look on his face as his head pivoted towards me, like Linda Blair's head in The Exorcist. Oh my and God. I said to him, look, if the, if the facts, if the data, if the information on which you were basing the conclusion you've reached was accurate, well, then that would be a fair conclusion. But you are basing your conclusion on inaccurate data. Well, he yelled and I yelled and he yelled and I yelled. And I didn't know it at the time, but uh, like, dozens of staff gathered in the hall outside the office. <laughs> they were listening to our fight, argument. Fight, fight, fight. Well, yeah, one woman <laughs> went and got a, right? One woman went and got cartons because she's like, okay, this girl's just been here two weeks. She's getting fired. You know, she got cartons <laughs> to help me pack my desk. Well, the fight went on. The argument went on, not fight, but argument went on for quite a while. And finally, Al looked at me and said, oh, okay. Just in this tone of voice. I, I got it. I got it. And then we went on to have a very nice discussion. And what I learned then was, of course, you can disagree with him, but you don't just disagree to be disagreeable. Bring your facts, bring your data. And I will tell you that over a 30-year period of time, I disagreed with him more than I agreed with him. But I recognized he owned the organization. He owned the business. And ultimately, the final decision was his. And it was thus my job to then implement it to the best ability I could But I think the fact that maybe two weeks into the job, two or so weeks in, I disagreed with him as strongly as I did and as ferociously as I did, um, set the tone for a really good working relationship. And probably, it probably helped me grow within the organization. Was that your first encounter with him? 
No, um, I had interacted with him. I was like, wow. It was my first big encounter with him once I had joined the organization full time. But I did interact with him when I was an intern. Yeah, I did interact with him a little bit when I was an intern. Although I wasn't screaming at him then. (laughs) No, I I couldn't imagine that. It's like an intern (laughs) yelling at the owner of the Raiders. <laughs> oh man, oh man! Uh, at any, I know you said that you—it was never the plan to become a CEO, but at that point in your life, did you ever think it was possible for you know not just a female, but but for you to get there? Honest to gosh, I never, ever, ever thought about it. I woke up every day um, thrilled to have my job, no matter how much my job may have been driving me nuts at the time. And yes, there were times of extreme stress. And there were times where, you know, we were disagreeing every moment, not just every day, not just every week. But I was so thrilled to be part of the organization. I really and truly didn't give any of that thought. Um, You know, I'm often asked along those lines, um, did I, did I think about being a woman in that role? Was I tested because I was a woman? The answer is I never, ever, ever thought about my gender. It never made sense to me. It still doesn't that I should want to go into or expect to, or hope to, or walk into a meeting of any kind of Raider ownership of NFL team ownership, a league meeting, a banking meeting, a municipal meeting, a player locker room meeting. It doesn't make sense to think I should walk into a meeting thinking about my gender if my expectation and hope is that other people aren't thinking about my gender. In other words, if I don't want you guys thinking about the fact that I'm a woman, why the heck am I thinking about the fact that I'm a woman? Amen, sister. That doesn't work for everybody. There are people who disagree with me vehemently. Fair enough to thine own self be true. Do what works for you. That worked for me. And as to whether or not I was tested because I was a woman, you know, I don't know, probably let's assume I was. Well, people are tested all the time. They're tested because of their race, gender, ethnicity, their age, their educational background, their seniority. And what's the best thing to do when you're tested? Pass the damn test. Yep. So then in your four decades of experience, what are you most proud of? Oh, wow. <laughs> you got to pick one. No, I'm just kidding. What, um, what are you most proud of? Well, I'll give you one that's current, that's not Raider related. When I um, left the Raiders, I, I, had, I was very, very self-aware in this regard. I said to my husband, as I was trying to make this hard decision as to whether or to stay or go, that I wasn't even going to be able to think about what I would do next until I had made that decision. So I made the decision to leave. I woke up the next morning. I looked at my husband. I said, I'm a blight on humanity. I have nothing to do. And we laughed. And shortly thereafter, CBS Sports approached me about joining um, the team. And I said to all my friends, no way, no way, no way. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Um, My biggest fear, my biggest insecurity, and this goes back to the time I was a little, 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 little kid has been being on camera. Um, You know, if you were to look at home movies from my family dating back to when I was a little child, you won't find me in any of them because that camera would turn on and I would run so fast the other way. Al would would assign me to play corner. I ran so fast. (laughs) Um, And so when CBS approached me, my immediate hard firm reaction was, nope, I can't, I'm not going to do it because I am so insecure about that 
that I just couldn't fathom being on camera. And I was sharing this with a group of people and one of whom said to me in a very, very, very soft voice sitting next to me, we were in a large group and she just quietly said, let it go. And those words resonated with me. And I went home and I thought, I'm going to let it go. I'm going to try to do that. And I joined CBS Sports Network um, on air, on camera. And it's the scariest thing I've ever done in my life. Mm -hmm. My first season, Bart Scott, former linebacker, literally, not figuratively, literally held my hand under the table during commercial breaks and sometimes during the show itself. Um, I said to the producer my first year, I'm so scared. I think I'm going to throw up all over myself. To which he replied, yeah, right. And what was his great reply? Oh, that'd be great. We get so many (laughs) YouTube videos. I was just just thinking, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, that's going to be great. (laughs) Right. Well, I didn't throw up all over myself. And so I would say I'm very proud of myself that I have faced my biggest fear. Cool. And, you know, if that's one if that's one thing I can pass on to others, and it's not mm. simply limited to women, it's men as well. Yeah. People who have insecurity about their appearance, who've always felt like, you know, not the good, not the pretty one in the room. And I mean that for both men and women, you know, I've always known thank I'm you. not the pretty girl in the room and, and, and I've always been in. Well, thank you. <laughs> and I've always been insecure about my appearance and I do recognize that's not gender specific. So you know, I faced my biggest fear and, and I'm glad I did. I'm, I'm thrilled that I did. I love that. I think my first six months on TV, uh, I blacked out during the show. <laughs> it was like two, it was like two minute sports cast. But every time I, as the red light would come on, I wouldn't remember it. And all of a sudden the show was over and I'm like, what did I say? Well, you are magnificent <laughs> at what you do. So hearing that you had those blackout moments is both, For like you know, six months. It was, I it was wild. I can't fathom it. Um, you may be too young to remember this but there was the Brady Bunch when Cindy Brady looked at the camera and that red light went on and she just froze so when you reference that red light I'm thinking of Cindy Brady freezing on camera and I sometimes feel like Cindy Brady but you do a magnificent job I never would have known that thank you Amy no I mean I kind of did the whole fake it till you make it (laughs) that's what I up to this point look where you are now kid (laughs) (laughs) Amy uh, we appreciate the time everything that you've done um, is incredible I encourage people to go read your books to watch you on CBS Sports uh, for more great insight knowledge into the game Um, I'm looking forward to the day that one day when we have all these female coaches more executives more refs that it's just not a headline for their gender but it's because they're just talented human beings. I'm looking forward to that day where it's just seen as being normal. Right. Uh, normal, yeah. normal. People say to me all the time um, when a woman is hired, are you excited? Are you excited? And my honest to goodness reaction is what's going to be really exciting is when it's no longer a story, yeah. when it's no longer right a moment. And I mean that about race, gender, ethnicity, all of the individualities which have no bearing whatsoever on whether one can do a job. Yeah. Amen. What's up, Amy? Uh, Amy, thank you so, so much for coming on today. We appreciate the time. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thank you for having me. I'm a big fan and this has been a big treat. (laughs) Thank you very, very much. We got this Amy Strass stamp of approval, people. (laughs) That's right. Mark the tape. Andre, the (laughs) producer, mark the tape, baby.
Uh, Pete Abraham, Amy Trask, two wonderful guests today. Uh, great conversations with, with both of them. Obviously with the Red Sox, as more stuff comes out, there'll be more questions to be asked. Trying to get Tom Karen back on the podcast next week. Yeah. Um, I, I moved in a pandemic, so we're going to get into uh, quarantine thoughts right now because we're still doing that. Uh, moving in the middle of a pandemic still sucks as much as it does when it's not a pandemic. But you have a new, fresh apartment with a great view yes. and, more and more room for your dog to take naps. To do activities and stuff. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, moving, I, I've been moving for the, like the last week. And I mean, anybody who's ever moved knows this. It never ends. I, I have to go to Home Depot for like the 18th time today. Yeah, that. What are you doing at Home Depot? To go to like Home Goods or something? Isn't that the stuff you I, want I, right now? I like the furniture. There's like I gotta get to hang up on the wall and to fix things. I gotta paint this shelf, and I'm I'm probably gonna ruin it. Yeah, but, you know I'm gonna try. Um, I'm not I'm not a handyman, so um, I'm learning, good, man. Good luck. I mean, I'm learning. Um, but moving in a pandemic is really really difficult. <laughs> I'm just glad it's basically over. Um, but that's what I've been doing all week as all this breaking news in the middle of an election, in the middle of a pandemic, yeah. in the middle of a manager search. It's just been like non-freaking-stop. Uh, how's the puppy, by the way? She uh, pup puppy's doing fantastic. She's currently taking a nap. She won't stop growing. Um, besides that, I, I just can't, I can't believe Claire and, and Dale are engaged after just a few weeks on The Bachelorette already. <laughs> and um, that's basically my life. Spoiler I alert. Honestly, Spoiler alert. Honestly, I, I feel like I need to do more with my life when I look at Amy Trask's resume. <laughs> right. I'm not kidding you and like crap, talking dude. to her, but but today was today was an awesome show. We got a lot of good information out of P Day. Uh, Amy was, I mean, her ridiculous storied career. Uh, good get. And I'm, I'm I'm glad you guys were able to link up and you were able to get her on this podcast. But yeah. That yeah, today dude. was today was fun, dude. Yeah. So uh, let's go ahead and wrap this baby up. Get it to the weekend. All right, sounds good. That's the Nesson After Hours podcast presented by People's United Bank. We are wrapping up this podcast. We will see you guys again next week. Bye-bye.